You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Thanks so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Well, friends, my name is Spencer, and I'm the pastor here. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 today. We're going to start a new series called Behind the Scenes. Uh, this will go for six weeks from now until Easter. And uh, I, I have two convictions that are really behind this series. One is this, that I believe that God has called everyone here. Um, God has called all of us here to make a difference in other people's lives. God has uh, put opportunities and uh, talents and gifts in everyone's life who's, who's here, that God has a plan for all of us to make a difference in our lives so that differently. I think God has a call on all of us to be leaders, to influence people, to uh, bring change into other people's lives. And so that's one of my convictions. And my second conviction uh, behind the series is that leadership uh, comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. It, uh, there's not a one-size-fits-all when it comes to leadership and making a difference. And sometimes we think about this in a very narrow sense. And what I want to do in this series is, is to look at this in a wide sense, a wide lens of, of the, the various ways that God can use you and your life and your circumstances, your opportunities, your gifts, your talents to make a difference for other people. And so that's where we're going to the series. We're going to take six weeks and we're going to look at six people who we... Um, are not people we would normally look at in the Bible for these are like the leaders. These are not the Moseses and the Noahs and the Davids and the Esthers, the really you know, top level leaders we might talk about. These are not the people who are writing the books or preaching the sermons. These are the people who are behind the scenes, as we might call it. They're, they're folks who some of us have probably never heard of some of these people. And yet what these people do, we're going to see over these next six weeks, are these are people who do very practical things um, behind the scenes that make a huge difference for other people. These are, these are the kinds of people that you start to wonder, if it hadn't been for them, where would the Christian movement be today? They were so instrumental and so influential in what they did, but they're, again, people you probably haven't heard of or, or read about before. So today I want to introduce you to Ananias, a behind-the-scenes leader, not somebody you normally think of as, as a key um, person because he's not preaching the sermons, he's not writing the books, he's not traveling the world, but he's a key, key person in what God does um, in, the, in the very early church. And so we're going to go to Acts chapter 9. We're going to start reading in verse 1, and uh, here's how this goes. So we read, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So you'll notice we just picked this up in mid-thought. It started off with the word meanwhile. And so this is obviously part of a, a larger story we're reading here. And if you're not familiar with this story, Saul will later become known as, as Paul, and he'll travel the world, the Greco-Roman world. He'll start churches in city after city after city. He'll preach to influential people. He'll write 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. And Paul, or Saul, will become the single person who is most responsible for the Christian movement surviving the, the very difficult first century. That's, that's Paul, very, very important person. Um, of course, he, he doesn't start off that way, and this is what we see where he comes from, because he doesn't just show up as, as Paul. He, he, he has a history, and, and his history is that um, we first meet him in the Bible. Saul hates Christians for a, a number of reasons that I won't get into this morning. He hates Christians. He's working to stamp out the movement. He's already at this point in the story responsible for the death of one Christian. His name is Stephen. And now he's going to Damascus because he's trying to stamp out the movement. He's going to look for Christians there to put them in prison. And this is, this is the man. So this is what, what's fascinating is, is you got to wonder whenever you start reading about Paul, you have to start wondering how in the world does someone make such a 180? 
How in the world does someone go from from being the the persecutor of the church to the champion of the church? How does someone go from trying to stamp out the movement to becoming the person who is who is probably most responsible for the survival of the first of the early Christian movement? How, like how does that happen? How does the that 180 that transformation take place in someone's life? Well, what we're going to see is that there are two things that take place that that make that transformation possible. And here's the first one, verse three. It says as he neared Damascus on his journey. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat anything. So how does someone have a 180 in their life and have all kinds of transformation? Well, here's what happens. He meets Jesus. This is what Jesus does. Jesus changes our lives. And so if you're somebody here who, who wonders if your life can change, well, look at Saul. Like, if Saul can change, you can change. Anybody can change. The, the transformation of what Jesus can do, this is what, what happens, is that when we meet Jesus, lives change, we change. This is what we see here. Um, and when I've heard Acts 9, probably a hundred times preached in church. I mean, I've heard Acts 9 preached so many times, the story of Saul's um, conversion. And almost every time I've heard this story preached, we usually end here at verse 9. As, as if this is the end of the story, but this is really not the end of the story because there's a second thing that happens in Saul's life that if this doesn't happen, I don't know if we end up with the Paul that we end up with. I, I, I don't know if this takes place. Like, yes, he meets Jesus, and that's of primary importance because that's how change ultimately happens, but there's a second thing that happens that I'm, I'm not sure if this, the second thing doesn't happen, if it even matters that he met Jesus because he might have just drifted off and, and not continued to become the person that he ultimately became. And so here's the second thing that happened in Acts chapter 9. If it's not as important, it's not as important as meeting Jesus. It's like, like just like a little bit below this thing that happens next for, for his transformation and where he comes from. So here's what happens next. Um, verse 10. In Damascus, let me say that differently, in the city where Saul was going to arrest Christians. That's, that's where he is. In Damascus. There was a disciple named Ananias. So in the city where he's going to arrest Christians, here is somebody that he was going to arrest named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Let me say that differently. Lord, are you, you sure about this? I don't know about this. Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. I just want you to hear the details of this next verse. It's so, so um, important. It says, placing his hands on Saul, so laying hands on him, he said, listen to this word, brother Saul, brother Saul, calls him brother the Lord Jesus, again, Saul is there to arrest people who call Jesus Lord. And here he is saying this to Saul, 
the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the story goes on and and Paul, uh, his, his eyes are healed. The Bible actually says that something like scales fall from his eyes as his eyes are healed. And, and Saul will go on. He'll adopt the Greek name of his Hebrew name and, and call himself Paul instead of Saul. And he'll go on and start churches and start traveling and learn and, and teach and write books of the New Testament and become the single most um, important person, really, the, the, the first generation of Christians because as, as he helps the church um, endure that first century where it was so dicey. And you have this, this leader, Paul, who we all know, but then Ananias, you have on the other hand, Ananias, somebody that we never hear from again. As far as we know, we don't know anything about Ananias. We don't know where he came from. We don't know how he met the Lord. We don't know what he did for a living. We don't know um, what he does next. He never shows up in the Bible again. You, we don't have anything about Ananias from here on out. And yet you have to wonder, um, what if, if Ananias had said no to this call that God had put on him? What, what would have taken place for Paul if Ananias had not gone to include him into the church and to welcome him into the company of the church, what, what would have happened if it hadn't been for Ananias, this behind-the-scenes leader that we, we know nothing about? We, we, know, we know all he does is, is what we see here in this, in this story. You have to wonder, what would have happened to the Christian movement if it hadn't been for Ananias? Because there's a temptation when you see someone like Ananias to think that what he does is a small thing. I mean, after all, he just shows up in this one little story, and, and it's, uh, it's tempting to think he's, oh, he's not preaching sermons. You know, he's not writing books of the Bible. There's no churches, as far as I know, named St. Ananias. Like, there's not that kind of high-profile person. And so there's a temptation to think, well, what he's doing is just a, it's just a small thing. But, but really, what he does here is he sets the whole groundwork for Paul to be able to become Paul, to be able to become the person that the church needed him to be. And you have to wonder, would Paul have become Paul if it hadn't been for Ananias and what Ananias does? You have to wonder um, what would have happened to the first generation of Christians if it hadn't been for Ananias going to welcome Paul. You have to wonder what would have happened to the Christian movement if it hadn't been for Ananias going to welcome Paul. You have to wonder, would we be here if it hadn't been for Ananias going to welcome Paul and bring him into the company of the church, what he does is just that important. Ananias is a great example of what we are calling here a behind-the-scenes leader. Not somebody who's front and center, but somebody who does something that's so instrumental and so influential, you have to wonder, if it hadn't been for him, what would have happened to this Christian movement, the Christian movement that we have um, even today? And so what you have in Ananias, you have really a, a few lessons that he starts to teach us, two really important lessons. One lesson that Ananias teaches us is that um, you don't have to be the person preaching the sermons. You don't have to be the person writing the books. You don't have to be the person leading the organization. You don't have to be the person out front with the name that everybody knows if you want to make a difference. That's not who Ananias is. That's not what he does. Um, Ananias teaches us Rather, that if you want to make a difference, there's a certain mindset that you have to have. And this mindset that Ananias has here is, is really a mindset that is crucial to any um, leadership that we show in our lives in any level that you're going to show leadership, whether it's leading your family or leading your neighbors or leading uh, your, your, in a church setting or leading in any way you're going to lead. What Ananias shows us is a, is a mindset that is absolutely crucial if you want to make a difference in your life, this, this mindset, like you have to have this mindset that Ananias has. And what I've, what I've seen in, in my work in different churches, I've worked in different churches, 
um, different sizes, different settings, rural, urban, suburban, large, small. I've been in different churches, different sizes, different settings. What I've found is that in most churches, um, this mindset that we see from Ananias, where he goes even though it's, it's dangerous to go, is, is quite odd, actually. And, and uh, most of us have a, have a different kind of mindset. And um, I've, I've come to claim this, this different mindset under a, a term. This is my term. It's probably not like exactly accurate to describe what the mindset of, of what I've seen a lot of Christians have. But, but um, this, this other mindset is, is very different than the Ananias mindset. And I've called this um, mindset this, the, the somebody else syndrome. This is what I've started to call this. Maybe, maybe you've seen this in, in action before. Um, the Holy Spirit starts to stir someone's life, and they may not know it's the Holy Spirit. They don't like use that language, but, but uh, someone starts to get an idea for something like, wow, we should do this new ministry, or, 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 or uh, we should uh, reach out to this person, or, or we should um, just you know, do something, and you start to get this idea of what, what should be done. Sometimes it's about like a new ministry in church, or sometimes it's, it's more simple. Sometimes you just start to think about you know, your neighbor, and you're thinking, I wonder if they go to church, and you're thinking um, they, they should get invited to come you know, to Easter or something like that, and so you start to think about that, or, or you start to think about, you know, whatever happened to so-and-so? I haven't seen them. They used to sit by me in the pew, and I haven't seen them in a while, and you're thinking, Oh, I, they, 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 you know, somebody needs to reach out to them. And so that's what we start to think is like somebody needs to do that. Somebody, somebody needs to, you know, start that ministry up or somebody needs to, to go volunteer in that class or somebody needs to give that money or somebody needs to, uh, to reach out to that person or somebody needs to check on them who, who've been in a hospital lately. Somebody needs to do this. And what we really mean to say is um, somebody else needs to do this, right? Somebody, somebody else needs to make that phone call or somebody else needs to volunteer or somebody else needs to give that money or somebody else needs to, to do this. And, and so we have a mindset here that, that I've come to call the somebody else syndrome where we start to think about how somebody else needs to step up and, and do this work that, that uh, God has put in our minds to do. And, and what, I, what I want you to hear is that, that when we start to think about how somebody else needs to be do this, what, what I think what the Lord starts to say to us back is, no, 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 um, you do this. You make the phone call, you give the money, you volunteer in that class, you start that ministry, you invite your neighbor, you, you do this because, because you have been given this opportunity, this, this calling to make a difference, and this is, this is an opportunity for, for you to do this. Um, this, is, this is the Ananias mindset where we start to say yes to the things that God calls us to do, even when it's maybe a little bit scary or pushes us out of our comfort zones. We start to say yes to the things that God's calling us to do instead of thinking, oh, I wish somebody, wish somebody else would do this. One of the greatest examples of the somebody else syndrome is in the Bible. It's one of our top leaders in the Bible, actually. Um, Moses is a great example of the somebody else syndrome. And when I say Moses, I mean Moses before he became like Moses. But Moses, when he first meet Moses, is full of the somebody else syndrome. Exodus chapter 3, Moses is a shepherd, and he's, he's tending sheep, and actually he's a fugitive shepherd. He's been on the run because he got in trouble, and he's a fugitive shepherd, and he's tending sheep, and he, he comes across the burning bush, and hears God speaking to him from the burning bush, and God says the place where he is standing is holy, so he takes off his sandals. And, and then God, in, in Exodus chapter 3, God gives Moses his life's calling. And this is how it goes. Exodus 3, verse 7, the life calling of Moses. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because they're slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Hamorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, 
And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And I imagine that Moses is hearing God say this and is nodding along his head and thinking, yes, it is about time somebody does something about this. Yes, Lord, let's do this. You got a good idea here. And then comes verse 10. So now the Lord says to Moses, go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And I imagine that the head nodding just like, hmm. I was with you till the end there. Really good idea, but then it just really got a little dicey, the last, last line there, a little, little dicey there. And so what happens next in Exodus chapter three and Exodus chapter four is that God and Moses have a conversation. It's a long conversation. They go back and forth. God has most of the things to say, but Moses has five things that he says in this conversation. And I just wanna read to you the five things Moses says. So I'm not gonna read you God's parts. I'm just gonna read to you Moses's parts. You can fill in the blank to how you might think God answered Moses. But here's the five things that Moses says in this conversation. This is the very next verse after God says to him, you're going. Here's what Moses said. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God says something back. Here's the next thing Moses said. This is verse 13 of of chapter 3. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God has something to say. So let's go to chapter four, verse one. Read the next time Moses speaks. Moses answered, chapter four, verse one. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Skip to verse 10, the next time Moses speaks. Here's the next one. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, which was like 10 minutes ago. So I don't get why he says that says, I'm slow of speech and tongue. And this isn't even a question. This is just like one of those just saying, just so you know, kind of things. And then finally, the last time Moses speaks, here's what he says. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. It's a great idea you have here. Let Go free the people of Israel, but somebody else needs to do this. Somebody else needs to go do this work that you have. Yet you have this mindset. It's the somebody else syndrome of this is a great idea, for somebody else to do. And so I, I have to wonder, and I've, I've wrestled with this, is, is why does this somebody else syndrome, like why does this happen to us? It happens to all of us. There's nobody who it doesn't happen to. We all have this where the Lord starts to speak to us or stir us and we start to think about ideas of, of ways we can make a difference and we start to think that's a great idea you know, for somebody else. So, so why is it that, that this starts to seep into our minds? And I, I think there's probably a few reasons one, you know, practically, it's just easier if somebody else does it, right? It takes less time and energy and effort to, for somebody else to do it. And so maybe it's just practically, there's just a, there's just a you know, it's just easier. But, but I think on a, on a deeper level, there's a, a base reason why we hope somebody else will do this. And it's, um, it's a reason that when you start to let this thing live in your soul, your, your faith is just killed. It's a, it's a terrible thing that you begin to live with and to make decisions by, and that's, Fear. Fear is the thing that keeps us from saying yes to the things that God stirs in our hearts to do. And, and friends, fear is one of the, if not the, it's probably the biggest faith killers that you can have. And when you begin to make decisions based on fear, you're going to lose faith so quickly because the opposite of faith, you know, it's not doubt. The opposite of faith is, is fear. It's when you begin to live in that place and make decisions based on fear, you are going to lose out on what God wants to do in your life quicker than anything else. Fear, it kills, it kills, it kills our faith. And so here's Ananias. 
this impressive individual who comes out of nowhere. He's behind the scenes. He's not preaching sermons. He's not writing books. But what he does here is he conquers fear. This is what makes Ananias so impressive. Because if you think about Ananias, it would have been so much easier for him not to do the thing that he did. It would have actually probably been smarter for him not to do the thing that he did. And I imagine that he probably talked to his friends, and his friends were like, are you crazy? You're going to go talk to Saul? He's the one who killed Stephen. You're going to go talk to him? Don't do this. That's a dangerous thing to do. And yet, even though it's dangerous, even though it's uncomfortable, even though he doesn't know how it's going to go, he still goes and does it. This is what, by the way, what courage looks like. Courage is not when you don't feel afraid. Courage is when you are afraid, when you know that you're going to get in over your head and when you know it's going to push you beyond what you can do and when you know you're not going to have the answers and it's going to feel uncomfortable and you don't know how it's going to work out, you still go. Like That's what courage is. And if you're going to be a leader, if you're going to make a difference, if you're going to reach people, if, if you're going to be somebody, I'm not talking about preaching the sermons or, or writing the books, but if you're going to be somebody who in your life and your sphere of influence that you have in your relationships, if you're going to be somebody who makes a difference, courage is a central trait that you have to develop. Because whenever God starts to stir your heart, your mind about something, our natural reaction is always to think somebody else. It's always going to be thinking about how difficult it's going to be. It's always going to push us beyond what we're comfortable with. It's always going to make us feel like we're in a little bit over our head. But those people who make a difference are the people who say, okay, even though I don't feel comfortable with this, I'm still going to say yes. This is the lesson that Ananias teaches us. So here's a practical question for you. In your life, a little self-assessment for you. Um, in your life and the ways that you make decisions and, and how you've responded to these ideas that may pop in your head about the differences you can make, do you tend to be a, an Ananias or do you tend to be a Moses? Do you, do you tend to be the person who looks for all the ways that you can go and, and jump into this and, and even though maybe you feel a little bit afraid, you're still willing to go forward? Are you the person who comes up with the list of reasons why this is a bad idea? I don't know which one you are. For myself, as I think about this, to be honest with you, I have chosen Moses far more often than I wish I had. And I have to start thinking, well, with the Lord, though, when he, when he wants to use us, it's an Ananias mindset that has to come about. And, and even though I might feel uncomfortable, even though I don't know how it's going to work out, even though I, I, I'm going to have to overcome some fear and some, some, some anxiety, I know that this is what the Lord has. And so I just want to offer you a word of encouragement this morning. That God has plans to use every single one of us. No one here is too old or too young. No one here is too fresh in their faith. No one here has too much of a history. No one here is excluded from this. If you are in Christ, God wants to use you for his kingdom building. He wants to use you to make a difference. And for you to live into that reality for, for your life, one of the key traits that you have to develop is this Ananias kind of courage that even though it might feel scary, even though you might feel uncomfortable, even though you don't have all the answers worked out, you still say yes. You are the one that God is calling to lead that class. You are the one that God is calling to reach out to that person. You are the one that God is calling to reach your neighbors. You are the one that God is calling to give that money. You are the one that God is calling to volunteer. You are the one that God wants to use because you are in Christ and he has a plan for your life. So be encouraged. Be encouraged and take courage.
because God wants to use you. So we're going to do this morning is we're going to pray in just a moment, and we're going to pray for courage. And that doesn't mean that we're going to pray that our fears go away, but we're just going to pray that God would give us strength, that even when we feel afraid, we can still say yes to what he has for us because God wants to use you in your life. Let's pray. And so, Father, today I do want to ask that you would give us courage. Um, Oftentimes we are timid, and um, we say no well before we say yes. And there are these ideas that come up before us, um, opportunities to reach out to people, um, opportunities to connect with people, opportunities to volunteer. Um, We hear announcements, we hear all kinds of things, ways to get involved, and uh, we come up with all the reasons why why it won't work. And um, this morning, I just want to ask you, to give us courage. And for anyone here who, who may be struggling with, with, um, with uh, becoming a person that makes a difference, or maybe there's ideas coming up in our minds of ways that we could reach out to people, would you give us courage? Not the absence of fear, but, but just the, the willingness to follow you, even though we don't know how it's going to work out. Because there is for all of us, there are people that you want us to reach out to. There are invitations that you want us to send there's people who we haven't seen from church in a while that we should make the phone call and see how they're doing. And there's these, these ways that you want to start stirring this. And so when we, these ideas start coming to our minds by your spirit, may we be the kinds of people, may we be the kinds of people who say yes. You've just listened to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co, and if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening.